You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, Episode 58. In today's Tidbit Tuesday, I'm answering three of your submitted questions about being a scientist, aspect ratios, and lens limit switches. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. I hope you're having a great week so far, and thanks so much for tuning in to today's Q&A style Tidbit Tuesday. Just a quick note, for those of you who listen on Spotify, the playback issues are now resolved. It took a little while to get to the bottom of it, so thank you for your patience, and thank you to everyone who reached out to let me know that there was a problem. Definitely let me know if you run into issues like this again so that I can address them right away. Okay, so let's get to our questions. We've got three quick questions this week. Our first question requires just a little bit of background. So last week, I was a panelist on Linda Nichols' Happiness Hour along with Karen Cooper. And you may recall that both Linda and Karen are nature photographers and have been guests on this podcast. Linda has been hosting a weekly online photography meetup ever since the start of the pandemic called the Happiness Hour. And Karen and I did an Ask Us Anything session last week. And if you'd like, you can watch the replay on Linda's YouTube channel, which I'll link to in the show notes. Anyway, there was one question that came up in the chat that I didn't get to answer in this session, so I thought I'd answer it here. And the question comes from Mika, who asked, how do you think your science background has influenced your photography? And I think this is a really interesting question. So as many of you already know, my background is in molecular biology. I actually ran a cancer research laboratory before I then pursued photography more full time. And I think being a scientist has influenced my approach to photography in at least three significant ways. So one, when I was first learning photography, my natural inclination was to dive deep into the technology and how-to sort of information. That's where I'm the most comfortable, and it's also just what I wanted to know. How and why are two of my favorite questions, and so that greatly influenced my early growth as a photographer. I really immersed myself into the craft more than the art of photography. And so it's probably no surprise that teaching the how-to side of photography is more natural for me than the more creative side, although I'm working on the latter. A second and perhaps more important influence that my science background has had on my photography is being comfortable with experimentation. So when you formulate a hypothesis and design an experiment to test whether that hypothesis is correct, you become detached from the outcome. Whether the hypothesis is correct or not doesn't matter. What matters is that the experiment worked from a technical standpoint so that the results can be properly interpreted. And this kind of objective detachment, especially when I was first learning photography, 
allowed me to be more comfortable with having a what if approach rather than having high hopes or expectations or even judgments of the outcome. It's allowed me to be more open to trying and failing rather than not trying at all or just getting too frustrated with poor outcomes. You know, it's all just data. And I'm sure someone will cringe at my saying that a photograph is a piece of data, but hear me out. An aspect of embracing an experimental approach is being comfortable with failure. When you test a hypothesis and it turns out to be false, while that could be disappointing, it's still informative and it's important for progress and knowing what to do differently next time. So focus less on whether the photograph worked or not and instead ask, what is the data telling you? If it worked, why and how? And if it didn't, why not? And what can you change or do differently next time? And I got to say, after spending decades of analyzing scientific data, the data I'm collecting now through photographs is so much more enjoyable to interpret than the bar graphs or pie charts and complicated data sets and so forth. I'm just saying. And lastly, I believe two skills that are critical to both science and photography are observation and curiosity. And I wrote about these concepts in an article recently that I contributed on Nature Photographers Network. And Michael Fry and I also chatted about them in last week's episode, if you want to check those out. Some of us may be more or less naturally observant and curious, but either way, I believe these are skills that we can cultivate. So being observant helps you to stay present and aware and can help open your eyes to seeing less obvious subjects. And being curious and inquisitive helps with honing in on your composition. So what is it that is drawing your attention in the scene? And why? And how can you share that experience visually in a photograph? What techniques would help with the composition? And so forth. There's so many questions and so many possible answers and so, so many ways to experiment. I have a coffee mug that has a little stick figure on it holding up a bubbling flask of chemicals. And it says, stand back. I'm about to try science. <laughs> Cracks me up. So I encourage you, try a little science in your photography this week. Experiment. Have fun. Don't be afraid to fail. See what happens and let me know about it. <laughs> All right. Our next listener question was a write-in from Mark who asked, could you do a Tidbit Tuesday on aspect ratios? I took a photo to my camera store for enlargement and was chagrined that they had to crop it so much to get an 11 by 14 print. So I had to move up to a 12 by 18 print. I noticed on my Canon D that I can change the aspect ratio, but I don't know why or what to change it to. Thank you, Mark, for your question. Many times we overlook aspect ratios until it comes time to print a photograph. And if you have not cropped your image during the editing process, then the resulting aspect ratio will be the same aspect ratio as your camera's sensor. So for full frame and crop sensor cameras, the aspect ratio is three by two. And for micro four thirds cameras, the aspect ratio is four by three. Therefore, you can create a print of any size without cropping out any of the frame, so long as the print size is a multiple of the same aspect ratio. So in Mark's example, the photo he created with his Canon 80D has an aspect ratio of 2 by 3 or 3 by 2, 
And so it can't be enlarged to an 11 by 14 print without cropping out some of the frame because 11 by 14 is a different aspect ratio. However, a 12 by 18 print is a multiple of 2 by 3, which is why it worked out in Mark's case. So one thing to keep in mind is that most camera stores and printing services will only print at multiples of standard aspect ratios, which include the 2 by 3 and 4 by 3 that we just talked about, as well as 4 by 5, 1 by 1, and 16 by 9. And if you want a custom size, sometimes they can do that. It just usually costs more to print. Now, in many modern digital cameras, we have the ability to change the aspect ratio of the image file by changing a simple menu function. This means that the camera will automatically crop the image file to that aspect ratio. The advantage of this is that you can preview this different aspect ratio while you are composing the scene. Alternatively, you can just crop to a different aspect ratio using your image editing software like Adobe Lightroom. And the only reason you would want to change the aspect ratio in camera, in my opinion, is to assist you with composing the image, especially if you already know that you want a different aspect ratio. So, for example, say you're photographing a flower and you want it to have a square frame, for instance, then you could just set it up to that one by one aspect ratio in camera, and then you can more easily frame it and compose it and not worry about cropping later in post-processing. And lastly, if you want a print of a certain aspect ratio, such as 11 by 14, that is different from the native aspect ratio of the image file, then I recommend that you crop to the 11 by 14 or whatever ratio you want first and then export that file for printing. All right, our next question comes from Kim. Let's take a listen. Hi, Brenda. I wonder if you could describe what a lens limit switch does and how to use it effectively. Thank you. Thank you, Kim, for your question. A lens limit switch, which is also known as a focus limiter switch, is found on many macro photography and zoom telephoto lenses. The basic function of this switch is to limit the autofocus range of the lens. And some lenses have two positions where others have three. So for example, I have two options on my Nikkor Z70-200 to telephoto zoom lens. My options are either full or infinity to five meters. What this means is if I have the lens limit switch on full, then when I'm using autofocus, the lens will attempt to focus at any distance from the minimal focus distance of the lens, which on this lens is a half a meter, out to infinity. So I'm taking advantage of the full focus range of the lens when I have my lens limit switch set to full. This is fine for most cases. However, depending on the scene, the lens may hunt around too much to find the focus. So if I want to avoid that autofocus hunting and I have a subject that is farther away than five meters, then I can tell the lens to ignore everything from the minimum focus distance of a half a meter out to five meters. So in other words, by using the limit switch, I'm telling the lens where not to focus during autofocus. The same is true for lenses where the focus limiter switch restricts the autofocus of the lens to nearby distances, such as with the Canon RF 100mm macro lens, which has three positions of the limit switch. They are full, 0.5 meters to infinity, and 0.26 to 0.5 meters. 
So if you were using the last option here, this would restrict the autofocus to a very small nearby region, which can really help with focusing on macro subjects using autofocus. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this quick tidbit Tuesday and for your submitted questions. As always, I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you want to get the links and any other information I mentioned today, you can find them in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 58. And while you're there, if you have a question you'd like me to answer or a topic to suggest for the podcast, you can record your message or contact me directly on the website. Also, a huge thank you to all of you who have left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or directly on the podcast website. Ratings and reviews, especially those on Apple and Spotify, really help to spread the word about the show and they help me to get great guests to come on and share their perspectives with you. So thank you for taking a moment to do that. It means a lot to me, but more importantly, it helps me to continue to grow and improve the show for you. And I'll be back here next week with fellow New Englander and full-time landscape and nature photographer, John Putnam, to chat about connecting deeply with Acadia National Park, the challenges and benefits of owning a gallery, finding time for creative pursuits while balancing work and family, and a whole lot more. So be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite player so you don't miss out on this or any of our upcoming episodes. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.